for a long time, I was running this campaign as explicitly non-lethal. Right. So that informed the kinds of choices or the decisions that players would make, right? They'd be willing to tackle things that if it were a standard AD&D game, they might not have tried. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from today's conversation with Eric Jensen at DaydreamTiger1 on Twitter. Today, we talk about folklore settings in the Wild West, failing forward instead of killing characters, interdimensional rescue missions, and so much more. If you want to hear a bonus conversation that I have with Eric after you're done with this main episode, or you just want to support the podcast in general and help fund future endeavors, consider a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus mini episodes every single week. That's four additional episodes a month for $5. So once again, if you enjoy this conversation that you hear today, or you want to get access to any of the numerous minisodes that have already been released, then head on over to patreon.com slash Dungeons and Dinners and help keep this podcast ad-free. Let's go ahead and get on with the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. And as I said in the intro, we are joined today with special guest Eric Jensen at DaydreamTiger1 on Twitter. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great this morning, Brett. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, thank you for joining. It's a it's a pleasure. So for the uninitiated, I always like to offer the first uh, section of the floor to my guest to let them kind of introduce themselves and tell us who you are and what you're doing in the TTRPG space. Uh, great. Thanks for that opportunity. Uh, again, my name is Eric Jensen. I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons and other RPGs since the early 80s. Uh, started with that Moldvay box set. Uh, for Christmas, it's an important warm memory uh, in the in the heart of a lot of gamers my age. Uh, I've been a longtime DM player. I've run local conventions. I've run big LARPs. Um, but most recently, and by recently I mean like the last decade, I guess my internet TTRPG claim to fame is my occasional blog, Wampus Country, which is wampuscountry.blogspot.com, which is sort of a, a weird West fairy tale frontier setting blog, and then spinning out of that. Uh, last year, we did a Kickstarter with ZineQuest uh, to produce uh, a book called Lumberlands, which is a, a micro setting. And so that's what we've been working on lately. Awesome. Well, let's start with the the more recent one. I do want to know uh, more about Wumpus Country, but you do have uh, Lumberlands kind of plastered in a few places. I've seen some references to it. Mm-hmm. So can you give us a little bit of background on what what is a zine, a zine quest first mm-hmm. for those that may not be as, sure. as familiar? And then uh, how does Lumberlands fit into that? Absolutely. So uh, a, a zine is a small format magazine, usually uh, low, lo-fi production quality or somewhere in there. There's some argument about how, how nice you can make it look and have it still count as a zine. So zine quest is an annual promotional thing that Kickstarter has been doing the past three years where in the month of February... I hope I got that right. Um, they spend a lot of extra time advertising uh, TTRPG-related zines. Um, so it was very successful the first year. Uh, second year, I got on board to uh, to do Lumberlands. And uh, we were, were lucky enough to be funded um, at a very reasonable level, and that helped cover art and layout and all that kind of stuff, stuff you wouldn't want me to do myself. Uh, so I uh, hooked up with uh, Paolo over at Lost Pages Publishing uh, and he put it all together and put it out. Um, so what it is, 
in in short, is it's a, a micro setting, right? It's relatively system agnostic, but it's written with D and D in mind, uh, just because that's sort of the the programming language in my head. Uh, and it's a little setting about uh, it's vaguely based on the Pacific Northwest, or rather, an ignorant American's idea of what Canada is like, right? So it's it's lumberjacks and it's Sasquatches, and there's a secret city of squirrels, and then all kinds of wacky critters um, in that vast uh, timberland area. Uh, and it's meant just to be inspirational material, or you can run straight from it, uh, but it's definitely got a comedy bent. So it's it's bad puns from the from the drop. Great. Uh, so is so it's somewhat system agnostic then, right? Um, but is it uh, timeline agnostic? So is it? It sounds like it might be like a little bit more modern, or at least lean toward being available to be used in a more modern setting. Um, but is that kind of the general idea, or is it uh, supposed to be slotted into like a certain style of game? I guess that's a great question. It is. It does default to a little more modern, right? As soon as we say lumberjack, we have right. an image in our mind of what that looks like and the technology that may come with that. And since it spins out of my own home campaign, which does have firearms, right? Um, so it, it, it makes some of those presumptions. But honestly, I don't think there's any mention of firearms in the book itself. Um, so you could do a little reskinning and those lumberjacks could be medieval woodsmen instead. Uh, but there are presumptions that there's, you know, a marginally exploitative lumber company, right? And those are sort of later modern overlay concepts. But when you're throwing ideas at a lot of modern D&D, modern D&D is a very broad mashup, right? Not just technologically, but conceptually where we go from, you know, guilds and nobility all the way up to these sort of uh, almost East India Company type expeditions so yeah you could you could shoehorn it in anyway and and i think that really my hope with the book is that it's well first of all entertaining right whether you run it or whether you read it on the toilet if i need to get a smile out of you that's the point of the book um but i tried to put it together so that it would be useful at the table so it's got some random tables in it that's a standard old school fetish right but i wanted to make sure that they were were useful so you can actually flip through the book once, say, okay, I know what I'm doing the next time the PCs go to a big woodland, we'll use this, um, and then just riff off what's in there to get a, a couple sessions out. That sounds, I mean, I it's already gotten a smile out of my face because the mention of Secret Squirrel City mm -hmm. makes me think of like an Aztec temple that's like miraculous, like it's, it's miraculously built by squirrels. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, so what, what, what we have in the book is actually this ancient city up in the treetops. Oh, there um, we go. Yep. Yeah. That makes more sense yeah. probably, but yeah, and I just this, have the yeah. image of like squirrels <laughs> dragging stones with like, like thousands of tiny little oh, ropes. Oh, sure. Like <laughs> immense, but tiny cyclopean. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. You could absolutely do that. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that's already spawned some inspiration for the, <laughs> but, um, so you said that this comes from, uh, at least partially from your home game. That's right. Um, so how, how long has this home game been running and can we get a little bit more into that to know where a, a squirrel city and a, a lumberjack woodlands kind of comes from? Absolutely. So when we talk about the, the Wampus country setting in the home game, it started in 2010. Um, but for, Let's be clear about our definitions. When I say that I've been running this campaign since 2010, I mean campaign in the old school sense. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the same group of players, 
that we had in 2010, right? Um, so I, I mean, campaign in the sense that one consistent world and the actions taken by whatever PCs adventure in that world matter, right? They may matter a long time downstream or they may matter very close in time to when they take the actions. So about 2010, I started running uh, the game and the, uh, the setting gelled over the next several years started amorphous there um, and that corresponded with kind of the the, the blossoming of G plus as a place for uh, TTRPG gamers and old school gamers in particular to kind of get together and and talk about things uh, whether it's house rules or or styles of play um, or here's what I did with my wacky setting right um, for a while there in G plus it was almost a prestige contest to see how bizarre <laughs> you could get with your setting and still keep it playable uh, so Parallel to that, uh, I was running every Friday, and it was an open table. So I had people coming in all the time. At the time, that game was run with Labyrinth Lord, uh, which is uh, basically a, a BX, a basic expert clone um, with bits of AD&D stapled on. But that's all under the hood, right? That doesn't matter as much as what's going on in the play. So Wampus Country, the concept is... Well, it started simple. The idea was to do an America mishmash the same way D&D is a Europe mishmash. So in the same way that in D&D, we have concepts and technologies going from the Bronze Age, sword and sandal, right, all the way up to post-Renaissance, edge of modern. The idea with Wampus Country was to take this wilderness frontier, right, mythical wilderness in that sense, uh, and use American concepts from, say, the age of exploration up to just pre-modern. With the, the the exception being, I didn't want any electricity and I didn't want steam travel. Because once you have steam travel, you have trains. And once you have trains, you don't have to walk anywhere. Right. Then you leave the wilderness very quickly. <laughs> That's right. And then it becomes, you could do that as like a points of light kind of thing, right? We're going right. from one place to another and occasionally going into the wilderness. But I wanted to make sure that anywhere people were going to go, hex crawl style, they needed mules and they needed to hoof it. Right. So getting rid yep. of steam takes care of that. So tonally, Wampus Country was originally supposed to be, you know, sometimes we hear people describe Dungeons and Dragons as, uh, I'm Conan, you're Gandalf, and we fight Dracula, right? You've probably heard that before. So my concept here was more like uh, Daniel Boone and Wyatt Earp fighting trolls and witches in the woods, right? And that's where it started, but it, it, it didn't end there. Any campaign milieu kind of just takes off and does what it's going to do. And what I've learned is that you can't be someone you're not. I started out trying to do Wampus Country as a very fashionable West Marches style wilderness hex crawl, right? Because that's what we were all doing at the time uh, on G+, right? Like we're, we're taking old school rules and I want to do an open table that's West Marches and it's a real hex crawl. And it didn't stay that way for very long. Two things happened. One was because we were doing episodic drop-in, drop-out play in kind of a weird setting. I was constantly having players come in who didn't quite grok what I was trying to do with the setting. And that's not their fault, right? But I also didn't want them to have to read 20 pages of blah, blah before they sat down. So things shifted to be a little more mission-based than I would have originally wanted it to be. Um, but very quickly, that became less mission-based and more sitcom style, right? Like, here's what's happening this week. Oh, my God, right? And so they would deal with that kind of stuff, whether it was big or small. And then at the same time, as it turns, not, it turns out, I'm not a very serious person or a very serious GM. So I kept inserting comedy bits or satire or stuff that I had written on the blog 
And the, the stuff on the blog is very often derived from, you know, American commercials or stuff from when we were growing up. Um, and so that, that part of America is, is invested there. At the time I was running, my older son was five or six. And one of the things I tried to go out of my way to do was take ridiculous things he had said and gamify them. Um, That's a beautiful it, it, source yeah. of inspiration. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> because if, if, there's if, nothing yeah. more pure and chaotic than the ramblings of a young child. Right, and not just chaotic, but you know, he's got, and my thank God, my younger son is just hitting that age now, ten years later. So I'm hopefully I'm going to have another big push of creativity, here, <laughs> stolen creativity. Uh, it's not just the chaos, but that they see things from different angles, and they don't filter and self-edit in a way that you or I would, where a good idea starts to come up. And we push it down and push it away because we think that doesn't make sense or how would I even do that? Or it's been done before. They don't care. Right. So when, when they, they spit something out and you say, all right, somebody write that down. I mean, we, we still do it. We were on vacation last week and uh, one of the kids said something in the back seat, and it was just this weird, I don't remember what it was, but it was a weird mix of words and it struck me funny. And I said to my wife, please write that down. <laughs> we're going to use that. So that's, that's kind of where Wampus country is. It's, uh, frontier, we call it tall tale frontier action, right? Uh, one of the things I tried to do with it, and I was not always successful, was to get that tall tale tone, right? Um, sorry for the alliteration. The idea that, you know, when you look back at these American tall tales, and you've got your Paul Bunyan, and you've got your... Um, uh, like a Babe the Blue Ox kind of thing. Right, all that kind of stuff. And there, there's definitely like Paul Bunyan and Babe stuff in Lumberlands, right? Because that's right. the right chunk for it. Um, but like Pecos Bill, right? Think mm -hmm. back to whatever exposure you have to Pecos Bill and uh, the story where he, you know, lassos and like rides a tornado. Right. Like, how do I do that in D&D &D without writing a whole stupid how to rope weather subsystem, right? Which would be <laughs> right. The, like the Gygaxian way to do it, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but I also didn't want it to be pure narrative, right? right? In a more modern narrative almost story gamey system, someone could say, all right, here are all my chips that I've garnered the last three sessions. I'm going to blow these chips and say that I ride the tornado. And right. then the GM just nods. I was trying to thread the needle in between there because I wanted it to be a role-playing game, not an improv session. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that wasn't right. the goal for this. Um, so the, the lesson learned in running any campaign for a real length of time is that it's going to change on you, right? Um, it's just like a like a TV show. Uh, is is the current season of The Simpsons the same as the first season? We can agree that it's not. We could argue about whether it's as good. Oh, they went all day long. Whole that could be a whole conversation. Right. All, a whole podcast right. on its right. own. <laughs> but what doesn't require argument is that it's not the same, and it's right. partly because you've got different writers, but partly because things develop in time, and you have even in your campaign you have NPCs that come up, and I didn't think this guy would be important, but now he is. Or I thought this guy was the big bad, but, uh, well, we're playing old school. They one-shotted him. He's actually dead. I'm not going to pull any crap, yeah. right? Fair's fair. Um, and then you play to see what happens next, right? Which is kind of the ultimate point of the game. Um, so, yeah, we played BX for years and years. And then we took some hiatus here and there. You know, real life gets in the way. My most recent regular group, we've been playing it with 5e, which has been good and bad. There are different assumptions baked into to any rule set. Um, so the way that the rules interact with the way you think the setting works um, can produce 
sometimes really interesting novel things and sometimes really disconcerting things. So obviously the, the, the group that I'm running right now is by definition less lethal, less dangerous. I mean, I've always run Wampus Country as fairly non-lethal because it's a comedy setting. And also right. in a tall tale setting, I want you to go from the frying pan into the fire. I want to escalate um, and, you know, let, let people sort of hoodwink NPCs and, and get into a different kind of challenge if you can't surmount what's in front of you. But yeah, it's different with 5e. Uh, and then the assumption of having the same people every week that changes things too. So that is so so you've gone from a a drop in game, which I've not had a lot of people that run. I've I've had some people that have run like Adventures League type stuff, right? Um, but more in kind of like a convention or even a local group setting where that's still pretty structured. And I don't think I've really talked to anybody that's run a more homebrew style, right? Uh, that allows for drop in and drop out. Um, and that's to me a, a terrifying concept because <laughs> I write it a fairly like not that it's a linear story, but I have to I, I try to involve a lot of like character backstory right. and tailored to the players. So and and with a homebrew setting, like you said, you don't want them to read 20 pages of backstory sure. just to be able to drop in. But how do you uh both, I guess, tailor an introduction. I, I guess you've had a, a lot, a lot of time to refine that introduction. Um, but how? What do you do to help bring a player in? And then, I guess, how do you, you know, keep things episodic in a manner that can can allow for that type of play, where a player can be consistently every week, or they can be a one episode kind of thing. Right. Yeah, we've had both. So uh, the way I did that was so when. I had the benefit of at the time people that were asking to sit in on the game were familiar with the blog, right? Because we're looking at, at a tailored community of old school and old school curious people, right? Who had at least a passing familiarity. They had either read the blog or knew that I was the coonskin caps fighting the Kool-Aid man guy, right? Like that, they had seen pictures, right? Right. Uh, so they had some expectation. And because we were using Labyrinth Lord, which at the time was kind of the lingua franca system, the Rosetta Stone system of, of G+. I didn't have to explain any rule stuff, really, right? So that's that's that's, that's not an issue, other yep. than like some house rules about hats and stuff. But you explain that stuff as it comes on, like it's a con game, right? So everybody kind of knew what they were getting into. Um, I would always kind of give a spiel at the beginning of every session, say, hey, this is the tone I'm going for. I don't always hit it, but these are my expectations. Uh, and to try and explain to people, since I'm going for this tall tale thing, I want you to try the thing that you wouldn't have tried with another DM, right? Um, and I, I don't mean like like a diplomacy thing, like I'll seduce the dragon, you know, stuff that you wouldn't try because you didn't think it would work, but stuff that matches the metaphysics of the game. Right. Um, try to lasso the tornado. Exactly, <laughs> right? So it, it, it required explaining to people, if you try to do some cartoon physics stuff, this is the game world where it might work, right? Um, and so that helped. Now, as we went on, I had people who got it and enjoyed it, so they came back a lot. I had people who enjoyed it and maybe didn't get it or got it, but it wasn't their thing. And those are the people who only came once or twice, and that's okay, right? Uh, you know, in a time when a lot of the other 
settings and regular open table games that were going on in the G plus community were fairly serious, serious, right? They were either hard medieval or um, kind of, I don't want to say edgelord, but they were dark, right? They were, they were heavy metal settings, right? And I had a, a long conversation with a couple guys say like, if, it's fine. If you want to be Black Sabbath and Cannibal Corpse, that's great. I'm just going to be over here being they might be giants. And the people who want that will come and get it. And that's fine. That was the beauty of the blossoming of internet play, right? You can think, find people for, for whatever it is you want to run. Yeah. I think the, the idea that as much as it is, you know, you know, your tall tale mishmashes, I think providing a musical mishmash for the tone. Cause I think that that sets a lot of emotional themes and I just mm -hmm. get this kind of a Johnny cash meets, they might be giants sort Perfect. of like, yep. and that's, that's such a good, that's a great vibe. I would, a, a little bit of like, C.W. McCall, but horses instead of trucks. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no. And all that stuff comes out. And people that really got into it really got into it. And what I found was that a lot of the people who wanted to stick around and play were playing wizards. They were playing magic users. And so what that told me was that the setting, as I was presenting it at the time, offered a lot of options for magic users because, you know, we've got talking animals. There's... Uh, the, the, you know, there are a lot of sort of spirits and things to, to, that you can have truck with. And I was explicitly saying, you know, it, in an old school game, the magic users have to kind of go out and find their new spells, right? They don't just wake up one day with new spells. And so because I was explicitly presenting a setting where you could go and quest to the mountain and make a deal with the spirit of the mountain and they teach you a spell in exchange for blah, 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 it became more interesting to play that kind of magic user. We had lots of, you know, thieves and fighters and stuff too, but uh, often I, I would find that the Friday night group would be three wizards and then like two or three other people, which in an old school game is dangerous. Yeah, that's a that's a recipe <laughs> for disaster. <laughs> but once once I was running an explicitly non-lethal game, right, where I had a blog post called It Gets Worse that got a little bit of, of circulation in that community. And the idea there was when you fail, things just get worse or different. Um, rather than inherently killing you off. So you have a physical challenge, you fail at it. Okay, now you're in a more difficult challenge, but maybe it's a social challenge or maybe it's a mental challenge. And that's what happens with these kind of tall tale trickster figures. They don't get killed. Right. Right. So, you know, the 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 thing where you you fall from the flying galleon, like, all right, I don't have a feather fall. I'm going to die here. Well, no, you don't die. The giant bird grabs you and flies it off to their their young in a mountaintop nest and you're about to be bird food all right, right. slightly different kind of challenge yeah now it's just from one into another or you know trees break your fall again like the animated physics you crash right. into a hundred limbs on the way down all that and stuff. you land in a snake pit right now, or in yeah. or in a cannibal <laughs> stew pot or now exactly. all of a sudden this right. guy thinks yeah. you're a god and then you got to deal with that oh. right so it's episodic in that sense so one of the things that you asked was how do you keep things, not just so that people can jump in and out, but so that it, there is continuity, um, right? Because it, there's a big difference between stringing a bunch of, of one-offs together like beads and having actual progression. Right. I think if I hadn't had players that came regularly, I wouldn't have had the seeming of progression. There would have been progression, but it would have been in my notebooks. Right. Right. As long as I'm keeping track of stuff that make, oh, this makes that NPC do that. And that's rolling some event tables, blah, blah, blah. That stuff's going to happen. The calendar is going to march forward because we were using a real time calendar. Um, 
but the meaning comes from the player interaction. Me having lonely fun on the tablet, tittering at what the hobgoblins are going to do next, doesn't matter at all until it shows up on camera with players. So, so with a and. I, I'm kind of curious because I feel like I know what I would do, but I, I want to know what somebody else would do is right. that with a drop in and out game, mm -hmm. you've got a lot of players that come through that may have really interesting characters who then are not interested in being players. Sure. So do you ever find yourself taking those characters and like Jaegering them or turning them into NPCs that may show up later on down the road to people who may have never even met that player um, or do you let them kind of fade into obscurity and be their own thing? So I didn't do that at the time because the way that the community was set up sort of in the OSRG plus people were jumping campaigns, right? You could, you could go from my table to your table to whatever, and it was kind of hand wavy and that was fine. So in that sense, if I had somebody who showed up and the character was interesting or they did something awful <laughs> that, you know, kind of tweaked things and then they never came back. Obviously, those things happened, but I wouldn't then take that character or some echo of that character and say, oh, well, this is the version that stayed and is now an NPC. I never did that. But I did have some characters that were PCs that played for a long time and then stopped playing during a hiatus. And we pretty much explicitly made them into NPCs through discussion with, with the players. So they're, they're NPCs slash PCs. There were times when, so there was one character who was a, a, a magic user and she ended up drawing from the deck of many things and inheriting a castle, right? So I just found the nearest castle on the map and, you know, the confluence of events. So now she's got this castle. Four or five years later, I was running a game for other players. They show up, oh, look, a castle, right? So we happen to have the time to do it when they went to the castle and I grabbed the player, right? Say, all right, hey, I emailed them. Say, hey, these folks are coming. And they kind of had a little email exchange. Right. So you can do that. You can get, you know, you can have players who aren't players. If you have a constant campaign, you can bring in your friends and have them run patrons and factions, things like that, or just little stuff. If you have a drop in, drop out campaign, me having my cousin who's in town play one session to be Billy the mercenary. That's great. It doesn't disrupt anything because the story changes from week to week. It's not about how dare we share the spotlight with this new guy, right? It's about whoever's there coming together. It's like um, you invite people over for a party and you hope that they're all sufficiently social that everybody wants to talk to everybody, right? It's a recipe for disaster if you invite two groups over for a party that aren't going to talk to each other. Why are they there the same night? Have two parties, right? You, want, you don't want the kitchen crew and the living room crew. You want everybody to talk. <laughs> and that's it's the same thing for a long-running campaign. So even though we had some fairly regular groups, four or five folks who would almost always um, adventure together, they would usually have one or two extras, right? And then groups would peel off. And that's very natural. That's a very Gygaxian way to do it in an old school campaign. Players will tell you what their interests are. And sometimes only half your group's going to want to go do a thing. I strongly suggest you let them, right? We talk about not splitting the party. That's fine on the tactical level because it's a pain to split people who are in two different hallways, right? But if you've got 12 regular players and they just don't all come every session and six of them want to go to the mountain and six of them want to go to the sea, do it. Let them reap both the benefits of splitting up and the difficulties of realizing, oh man, we sent the cleric with the other party. That was dumb. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have those consequences. <laughs> we need another cleric. <laughs> and they'll do that, right? So that way when so somebody dies off or whatever, or they'll roll up a cleric, right? Or they'll recruit a new player. So what level are you running this campaign at? And with like drop in, drop out, um, do you like, how do you handle leveling and level capping and things like that? Oh, gotcha. So right now, since, since the current group is 5e, it's not an issue. We have the same players essentially right. every week, right? So that's kind of its own thing. But talking about the classic version of the campaign, the real growth period, I didn't worry about leveling. You are the level you are. We, we, we were playing essentially basic, basic expert. Right. You, got, you got your XP for, and this is kind of a post one way to do it, right? You got your XP for gold and maybe combat and some social stuff. And because of the type of game it was, I set explicit sort of discovery XP goals. Like, oh, you're the first group to find this thing. Oh, Guess nice. what? Yeah, your bonus experience. Uncovering the map sort of reward. Right, because you, XP is the ultimate way to drive player carebouts. And yep. one, of the, one of the sometime issues that I have with modern games that kind of remove the XP mechanism is that you no longer know what the players care about beyond showing up and being told a story. But anyway, <laughs> that's a rant for another time. Um, so in the older school systems, everybody levels at a different rate, right? Um, and that's okay. And the expectation is that a party is going to be of mixed levels. So the onus is on the players in the party to decide what they think they can handle that session, right? If it's the regular hardcore group, and I've got six fourth level characters, and it's pretty well balanced, right? We've got a cleric, we've got some fighters, blah, blah, blah. And they want to go tackle this thing. They think they're ready. They go do it. If it's an off week, and they've only got two of the regular guys, fourth level, and they've got three absolute green noobs with them, first level characters, well, maybe they don't go do the same thing. Maybe they try to do something that's more appropriate. Or maybe they say, forget about it. We don't care about these, these new guys. <laughs> maybe they'll get smoked. Let's just go do it anyway. But those decisions need to be in the hands of the players if you're really trying to, to, to propagate this, this older style of play. Because it's, it's not about the players. It's about the world, right? The play exists when the players touch the world. But the world keeps on going even if a particular player leaves. So do you find yourself scaling encounters nope. um, very, very <laughs> flexibly? Or do you say, if you choose to do this, it's your choice? So, it, yeah, it's it's their choice, right? Now, keep in mind that, as I alluded earlier, for a long time I was running this campaign as explicitly non-lethal. Right. So that informed the kinds of choices or the decisions that players would make, right? They'd be willing to tackle things that, if it were a standard AD&D game, they might not have tried, right? Right. That aside, though, yeah, it, for the risk to be real, for the consequences to actually matter, then the players, not just the characters, but the players need to have real choice. Most of the time that's informed choice. Occasionally it's not informed choice. That's just real life. Um, but that's important because it drives their desire to make informed rather than uninformed choices. So then they start to actually care about intelligence gathering uh, rather than just waiting to see what gets put in front of them. Right. So part of that old school philosophy is pushing player agency, not just agency in a you control your backstory, you control the way your character looks, you can play whatever class you want, despite the race you picked, not that kind of agency. I mean, the day to day in game player agency making choices about what resources to expend, including things like time, um, who to ally with in the game world, right? Um, 
moral choices to be made within the game framework. All that stuff, I think, needs to be left up to the players. So, man, there you've got such great. There's so many different directions. And we haven't even talked go. about food yet. <laughs> I know we haven't. I've <laughs> got to get the, your shirt. I've, I will bring up eventually. <laughs> um, so, so maybe a slightly quick one is yeah. that in a less lethal campaign, um, how lethal are the players? Like, do bad guys survive in the same ways that players do? Is there that expectation, or are the players still allowed to be as murder hobo-y as they want? So, yeah, so players are going to be players, right? So, uh, <laughs> generally speaking, in the Wampus Country campaign, players had no difficulty whacking NPCs, right? Um, one thing that sort of solidified out of the years of play was that they started to learn, and I don't think this was necessarily a conscious choice on my part, but... Larger NPCs tended to live longer, um, not because they had plot armor, right? Because that's one way to do it. Like you can't you can't whack the, the the big bad evil guy or his lieutenant because I need them next chapter, right? We see that all the time. They didn't survive because they had plot armor. They survived because the big named NPCs tended to be the most interesting to talk to, and thus the players didn't want to kill them. They wanted them to continue. Uh, acting in the game world, um, this is less so with like true antagonists, right? I mean, if somebody's trying to kill you, you're going to kill them. But those sort of middle of the road, annoying wildcard NPCs, where a, a murder Rocky hobo... and Bullwinkle. Right, right. So like a, a, a murder hobo group might just say, I'm not dealing with these guys again. We're just going to have to kill them. The Wampus Country groups tend to say, all right, I hate these guys. I can't wait to see them again. Right. All right. And so when you then you start building this cast of NPCs, what, one thing that happens when you have uh, an established campaign where PCs stop killing off your NPCs is that you very soon have too many NPCs. Yeah. So I, I was imagine. <laughs> I was running. So I, I wrote a blog post about it called uh, I think I called it the Simpsonization of the game. Yeah. Right. Where, <laughs> cast where, of hundreds. That's right. You get this cast of hundreds and they're. They stick around because the game that there was a home base town, right? Because drop in, drop out, we got to have one place to start from. Right. And so we started developing these NPCs that were in the town and near the town. And even the ones who started out as flat caricatures, enough time, they get broader, right? Because this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't Skyrim. They're not going to say the same three things every time you talk to them. I have to yeah. come up with new things for them to say. I have to come up with the things they care about. The likes, the don't likes, the, the what could you give this guy that would make him do something he wouldn't normally do? Kind of have to have that in your head. Um, how do they interact or how do they feel about the factions going on in the game world? Because the game world's as real to the NPCs as it is to the players, if not more so. Right. Um, and then eventually you end up with this Wizard of Oz factor where, so remember in Wizard of Oz, the book, and it doesn't show up in the movie, where, uh, they get rescued by a bunch of mice because they were nice to the mouse queen or whatever, eight chapters right. before that starts to happen a lot. Right. So you have players who are in a situation. They don't know what to do. Brute force isn't going to do it, man. If only we had a fill in the blank and they start remembering NPCs from 20 sessions ago who kind of owe them a favor. Yep. And they're like, wait a minute, why don't we get this guy? And, and so they do that. Right. And so it's, social dependencies back and forth between players and NPCs, as well as between players, 
right? Because if you're having kind of random groups come together, if my bard wants to raid this undead littered tomb because there's a magic loot in there, I've heard, I want it. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to every cleric and paladin PC I know about and say, are you free next Saturday? Because right. there's a thing I need. Right. And that's all player agency. Well, and, and then it, that's I, I think that's really speaks to having a location that is more of a centralized because like I love the the Twitter D&D community, mm -hmm. but there is not a lot of centralization. And in fact, Twitter doesn't really support centralization in that way mm -hmm. and something that that google plus did do was it allowed for these groups to be built and i think that that does build something where intercharacterally i'm not sure how to say that but like it, you know it is it is now um you can you can be that bard who is going out trying to find paladins knowing full and well that there's a good chance that whatever paladin or cleric you find may hit you up that's a right. month two months five months down the road and, and say hey remember when i helped yeah. you yeah i need a bard to come we we need to sing this thing to sleep or whatever and and they were doing each other favor so you know in the heyday remember i said that this was happening between different campaigns because some characters were jumping campaigns and because you know you find it's just like with adventures league right if you can play three times a week your level's going to shoot up because there right. are no particular limits. So some people shot up in levels, some people didn't. Uh, but because you could jump between campaigns, there were multiple occasions when a party would almost TPK or they'd all get captured except for one guy. And that guy would get out. And the DM could tell that guy, look, you're pretty sure you got 48 hours to try and break these guys out or they're all going to get slaughtered. And that player would show up on G Plus and say, here's the situation, guys. Somebody come and help me. And people would roll in deep. They're like, I'm free that day. I'm free. Let's do this. And if the DM was willing to do it, they do it. There were multiple like interdimensional rescues. Right. And, and that's just the way it was. So that was kind of neat. That's that's so cool because it it speaks to a broader metagame style of play that I'm sure also probably crosses systems. Um Good. because yeah. there's yeah, there's there's some universality, like you said, to to the kind of the primary bulk of the system. But yeah, offering interdimensional play, interplanar play, whatever, mm -hmm. um, and and allowing for such a diverse group of people to all essentially kind of say we're all playing the same game. That's right. Mm -hmm. But also not. I think that that is that offers so many more layers to the style of play. So many other opportunities that invested players can then reach out and touch and, right. and broadens that universe. Because I think that it, myself as a DM, I've always wanted to run intraplanar stuff, mm -hmm. but it's hard, right? You, you can have every book of every plane that's been released and it is, it still doesn't help. Mm -hmm. It's still so much content to try to manage and write and build for and describe flavorfully and make feel real. Right. Um, at least for me. Mm -hmm. But if you gave each plane uh, two or three DMs in each plane, right. then you can say, hey, you guys go here and I'm handing it off. Come yep. back to me in three weeks. Absolutely. You, have, that, yeah. you have one week of in-game time to go to the plane of fire and get this scroll. Exactly. I'll tell we, that DM yep. that's all they need. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, I've got a buddy who's been running a high-level City of Brass thing for a year. Mm -hmm. I'll tell him. And the interesting there is, you know, we talk about the change in planar physics. 
maybe they're going to have new house rules because it's a mm-hmm. new DM. So guess what? Tough. If you really want to go to the city of brass, this is the city of brass that's canon in my campaign, even though it's yep. run by this guy over here. And if and you get snuffed, are nerfed. Tough. exactly right. And, yeah. and, but again, that's informed choice, right? Right. So, and I think those of us that love these games, they love, we love the imagination and the storytelling aspect that comes out of emergent play. You can get that when you start hooking people together, even if it's only in, in temporary ways, it's a, a, it's like bringing, so bringing different players together, you get those synergies. And then it's like one scale up from that, bringing different tables together, right? Or bring different game systems together. There's no reason that you couldn't do crossovers. I mean, it, those of us that grew up on superhero comics, and I'm not sure they, they do as well today as they did back when I was a kid, but that first time that you happen to get the issue of Captain America that has Wolverine in it, that's really cool, right? And you have to, and you very quickly learn that the guest star operates by the physics that apply to the guy on the title of the book. And that's okay right. too, right? Yeah. Like, oh, how come the Hulk can't be Captain America? Well, because the book says friggin' Captain America, that's why. So, <laughs> but that's that's part of genre emulation, right? So I think that can be accomplished on a large scale. I don't think most really organized play programs quite get there because they're optimized for a different kind of organization. They have different priorities, right? Yeah. In order to get this kind of beautiful chaos, you have to be willing to embrace the chaos. So when we were talking a minute ago about players coming and going, players coming from other campaigns, bringing their backstories, bringing their quests that I've never heard of, you need to trust. First, you need to let go, right? And appreciate not only the liberty you're giving the players, but the liberty they're giving you. And then you need to trust that whatever happens next is going to be pretty cool. Even if it's not what you assumed would happen. I think a lot of us as as young GMs go through the novelist phase and mm-hmm. then we kind of break out of it and you have to have your heart broken a couple times, right? Yep. It's like it's 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 just like love and marriage, right? Your best relationship is the one that happens after you've screwed up a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> because you know what's going on. <laughs> your campaigns are going to be the same way and you need to be willing to fail. Yeah. Um so, you know, comparing yourself to professionals or highly scripted shows that you're just beating yourself up for no reason but embrace the chaos that's part of the the old school philosophy it's less popular now maybe the pendulum will swing back but uh like i said it's like a party i want people to bring their stuff to the table and share it it's a potluck every D game is a potluck yep the the but what determines how fun it is is how restrictive i'm going to be as the host bring your favorite dish but don't bring these six things Right. Well, then I don't really want you to bring your favorite dish, do I? Well, and I think that oh, I'm man, trying hard to get back to food. I know, I know you I'm are. You're so pushing hard. it. And I'm just like, I, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention this real quick and then I will transition as well. <laughs> so I think that it really does speak to offering player agency in a true sense when because of the drop in drop out nature, that player has an idea of where they want their character to go mm-hmm. and they're actually more asking saying i am relying on you for three sessions kind of like we said with the city of brass sort of thing my character wants to develop in this way i want these powers and abilities and magic items and it i'm putting the responsibility on you to help me get there in the next three sessions yep so instead of the the kind of dm so it's like well maybe i'll take this away from you and use it as a plot hook to to get you somewhere else like no you've got to accept that that's what the player the player is explicitly Mm -hmm. stating that's right 
I need these things from you. And I think that that's, it's puts some constraints on the DM in the best way to say, you are now responsible for developing this character in this direction. Right. How do you do that in your world? That's right. And I think that's, that's really cool. And you, I mean, you, you got to set up opportunities, right? Right. If there's going to be moments there, they can right. fail. Yeah. And they have to, but so some players have a hard time adjusting to that play style. Right. I, I think a lot of people who become enamored of an old school play style, but from reading about it, start to run a game and they say, okay, here's the map. Here you are. What do you want to do? Well, most folks aren't ready for that first session. Right. Right. There, there's a training wheels aspect. So you kind of need to start with some mission based stuff. So they get the lay of the land, but then they also need to understand that it's not always going to be that way. Right. You know, three sessions from now, I'm going to start asking you guys, what do you want to do? And you better, you better have some ideas or it's going to be, you know, poking slimes or whatever. <laughs> we're going to be grinding in the field. Yep. It'll turn into an old school Final Fantasy game where you mm -hmm. just walk around in circles in the grass until That's you right. fight something. <laughs> so um, I, I do have to, we've, we've talked about it. We brought it up. It wouldn't be the podcast if we don't talk about food at some point. We've been leaning <laughs> in that <forward>. direction. <laughs> um, I'm all about the potluck style game style, both in person and online. Mm -hmm. Um as well as potlucks. Those that have listened to the podcast know that that's a, a favored thing of mine. Um, but you are wearing, for the listeners, since this is not uh, you know up on YouTube or anything, uh, you're wearing an Old Bay shirt. Sure. So I feel like th there's, as a DM, there's a level of intentionality in everything that we do sometimes. There is. Um, so, so please give me a little bit of understanding of... I mean, I'm a fan of Old Bay seasoning. Mm -hmm. Old Bay seasoning can make anything good. It's kind of an all salt. <laughs> um, but but is is there an intentionality behind your shirt today? Well, there's there's always intentionality, even when we're being authentic, right? Right. Uh, the, so, uh, yeah. So I grew up in Maryland. Lived most of my life in mm -hmm. Maryland. Okay. Um, uh, ran a local con in Maryland uh, for a couple of years called Trident Con, and uh, uh, so obviously I'm an Old Bay fan. I live in in Pennsylvania now, but. Uh, one of the T-shirts that isn't this, this one of the T-shirts that we produced for the con is actually, uh, and I'll send you a link because I think you're going to want one. The, it's a, a mock-up of like an old bay can, except mm -hmm. it's, instead it says old school role playing, and it has <laughs> you know everything derivative from that, you know, uh, dice, pencils, snacks, whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, old bay is has been a part of my life for a long time. I'm not as much of an old bay nut as a lot of my uh, fellow statesmen are, or where I should That's say. That's fair. <laughs> but uh, it's it's certainly part of the culture. Right. And especially now that we get into summer, I was just on the phone with my sister the other day. She said, when are you going to come down for crabs? You know, that's that's part of it. And I think keeping things local uh, applies both to food and, uh, and to your RPG experience. Right. You want the, the table variance, no pun mm -hmm. intended, is good. Um, we don't all want to be doing it the same way. But we actually moved to uh, to Hanover, Pennsylvania, which some people call snack town uh, <laughs> because, you know, Snyder's pretzels. Mm -hmm. And and Utz potato chips are both down yep. the street from here. So I haven't lost any weight since we moved. I was going to say that would be real. That would be real rough on me. <laughs> yeah, no, they've got they've got um, outlet stores for both, and it's not good. So, <laughs> so I yeah, I think that Old Bay is a really good. It's like it's a perfect backup spice mm -hmm. blend, rather, yeah. uh, because. If if you have like a two cup like two cups and you can make an instant like shrimp boil crab boil like it is just as much a northern flavor as I believe it is a southern flavor 
um because i come from you know a kind of a southern midwestern family okay and it's just as much used as like it may not be the full seasoning Mm -hmm. but if you need a starter blend like yeah dump a cup of old bay into Mm -hmm. the shrimp ball pot and then hit it with some like another cup of cayenne pepper. <laughs> right. And to get the cage of it. Well, and that makes right. sense too, right? I mean, <laughs> cuisines are geographically based, right? So Maryland, the old line state, we're right there in between. We're we're too southern for the Yankees to like us, and we're too mm-hmm. northern for the southerners to consider us kin. Right. So that's just the way it is. Um uh, and I, I think that's really cool. I like, you know, Old Bay's good. Um I like that metaphor of having a like a starter spice blend. Mm-hmm. And and not to leave food and, and bring it back to gaming, but that's kind of what that's D&D the show. Is, that's exactly right? what the show is. <laughs> but, I mean, if I say to you, "Hey, come over and play Dungeons and Dragons," I'm offering you Old Bay. I'm offering you a particular spice blend. Then you you and I are speaking the same language mm-hmm. until we're not. Right. Right. Because if I offer you come say come over and we'll have crabs, and I don't put anything on it, or the spice blend is weird to you, then we're not communicating properly. And so sometimes that happens when you invite players or you have lengthy twitter jousts where you realize eventually you're talking past each other because mm-hmm. you were using the same word differently yeah um, we're gonna have barbecue like pulled pork barbecue means something completely different in mm-hmm. north carolina sure. than it means in kansas city than it means in texas that it means Absolutely. in california you know so that can be a totally and so everybody comes with their expectation well you said barbecue and... but what's great is that we know about these things now right so right. between the food network the internet and national chains like i don't know mission or whatever right like m- more people in 2021 know about alabama white sauce than yep. would have known about it in 1970. that's right? true and that same progression has been happening with with tabletop games mm-hmm. right well the and opera- people are more aware to ask right like what kind and it's of okay to ask what kind of D? Mm-hmm. what are your house like i think the the rise of the importance of session zero uh, whether it's in kind of like your drop in drop outs where it's the first five or 10 minutes, right. here's the expectations or mm-hmm. here's my game profile uh, that you can review and make sure that it fits you or a full blown in person one to two hour session zero, like either way, the importance of discussing the expectations of your players, the expectations of your DMs, like right. being willing to interview your DMs, I think is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that interview goes both ways and it's, it, it's difficult because we have these nerd fallacies about how we all have to be friends all the time, but it's okay as adults to say that game sounds cool, but it's not for me. I right. wish you we can be it. friends. Yeah. Let I me know if you do something it. else and I'll come over. And that's hard because it's just like with, um, with inviting people over. If you say no to six invitations in a row, I might stop inviting you. So right. you need to be very explicit and say, Hey, you do this outdoor stuff on the grill. I think that's awesome. It gets too hot for me, but come winter. If you guys do a Christmas party, I'm so there. Please keep inviting me. Yes. And we, like, I want yeah. to be invited. Right. I Rather just than have sulking. a really busy schedule. Right. And, and that level of communication and that it takes a certain lack of, uh, not lack of, you, you need a self-awareness mm-hmm. um, to express that vulnerability. You know, when, when, when I was younger, I was afraid to share because anything that wasn't positive was rejection. Right. Right. And I, I, that's thinking like an 18 year old or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think that way anymore. And it's okay that we have different tastes, you know, we, we're, so we're getting ready at, as we tape this, it is summer uh, tape. I'm showing sure as we record this. <laughs> hey, I, I'm, I'm old <laughs> enough to use that. Like this. <laughs> so as we record this, it's summer. And we were, we were just up at the store and my wife said, well, if we're, if we're, if we're grilling this weekend, do you want potato salad? Now I'm the only one in the house that'll eat it. Right. Yeah. 
so I'm there at the Walmart with the finest mediocre potato salad that can be bought by American dollars. And there's like five or six kinds. And I ended up not getting any because when you say potato salad and it goes in my ear, my brain and my tongue, and my stomach think of whatever my mother made. Right. And the stuff on the shelf orbited that, mm-hmm. but nothing quite got there. And it all had celery in it, which is, I don't know if that's yeah. a regional, like celery in it. Anyway, I think it's just a cheap filler. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what are we going to do with all this celery? Right. So communication is important, but it also the takeaway there is that if I want the thing that satisfies me, I might have to make it myself. That's true. And that's true for your game as well, right? Whether it's the rules, the setting, the population of your table, the play style, it's okay to say what wizards is doing is great, but it's not for me. I want this indie game or I want to play the popular game, but I need to change 30% of it. Right. To get what I'm aiming for. That's okay. Yeah. And I think that, it speaks a lot to, you know, in, in food for a long time, I was embarrassed uh, to talk about, like, I was a picky eater for a long time. I still am a fairly picky oh, eater. <laughs> um, and But a lot of that came from, like, a history of trauma, right? Like, it wasn't just like, like, there were deep-seated insecurities oh, sure. associated with that. So anytime, like, I never wanted to tell people, like, to cook to my tastes, like if they're like, so I would turn down a lot of dinner parties and a lot of things, unless it was like a potluck thing where there was a good chance that I could right. find some and, and picking at different right. food was acceptable. But if it was like, Hey, we're going to, you know, come over, we're going to make, you know, you guys a dinner, like as a small group event and then somebody else will cook, mm-hmm. I would more often than not turn those down or, you know, for a long while. And then I became more comfortable explicitly stating I might eat beforehand or do you cook using these things? It's not that because right. I could lean on an allergy, but I, I'm not a liar. I hate lying. So I well, never right. want that, to say that like, cheap I'm allergic the, yeah, to this. Yeah. Right. And because then they're like, oh, well, we'll change it. And it's like, no, I don't want, that's the thing. I don't want you to cook to my taste. And I think that taking that and applying it to D and D, you know, for a long time, I would play games that I didn't enjoy because I hadn't heard or believed that no D and D was better than bad D and D. Right. Right. I would, I would rather play in a game that I didn't enjoy. Cause at least I got to play. Right. And I think that growing and experiencing, of course, just more life and more mm-hmm. life experience and being more willing to open up and that knowing, realizing that nobody really cares that much. So if you say, For I sure. don't want to play in your campaign, <laughs> right. right. Like I don't really want to play in this campaign because it's not, the setting that I want, or mm-hmm. it's not the rule set that I want. I, if somebody's going to unfriend you or cause an argument over that, then right. they're not good in your life anyway. That's right. And being open and honest with yourself and and finding out like, Oh, Hey, this is maybe I want to play. I would like to be open with you and say, I've never played this system before. And it sounds interesting, but I am also aware that things sound great to me that when I try them out, I don't like them. Well, of course. So, yeah. so I will let you know that I may only be available for a few sessions. And if I like it, I will stay. And if I don't, it's no hard feelings to you. I just never played the system. Right. And like being willing to say that I think is huge in both food and like, I would like to try it, but I may bring a backup snack because I don't know if I'm going to like it. Right. And that kind of open communication and advocacy not only for the hobby but for each other right so what do i want out of a good gaming session when you come over to play i want a good game but i also want you to be pleased right and those things overlap 
but they aren't the same thing, right? And so if you're playing in my game for a while and you're not feeling it, we need to be able to say not only, hey, this isn't for me, but I have to be willing to say, what is it you're looking for? Let's tease this out, have a coaching moment, because it might be you can articulate it and I can give it to you. Or it might be you articulate it. I know it isn't something I can produce, but I know a guy. Right. right? It may be because, as simple as we can re-roll yeah. your character and right. make you a different we'll get a different race, class. We'll throw right. it all out. And you didn't understand over. the rules when you made these choices. Yeah. You thought you were going to have a, you know, a chandelier swinging swashbuckler. And it turns out you picked all the wrong skills. Mm -hmm. Let's just fix that. Right. So or like you said, the Noah person, like right. that's that's huge, like especially that's and that comes from again, that deepened sense of community right. where there you can offer somebody a lot more opportunities if there is that open, honest communication. Yeah. Then you could say, I'm not your fit, but I am excited to tell you that I know exactly who is. And I think right. you will love this. Like we, yeah. it may, I may not be able to give you the experience that you want, but I know what restaurant you can go to exactly. to get that. Exactly. We need to be willing to, to recommend people uh, the same way we recommend books. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's a glorious place to kind of, to kind of wrap things on. So <laughs> I would do always again, and as, as I do in the intro, I do, uh, near the end, I offer you as much time as you would like. If there is anything that we have any topics we haven't touched on or any shout outs that you want to give, I think that now is a, a pretty good time to open the floor to you for those. Oh, thanks, Brett. I mean, uh, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, I do have that that product Lumberlands out, and I'm sure we'll uh, get some some links going or whatever. Uh, but to me, really, the hobby isn't about products, um, even the cottage industry aspect of it. It's about connecting people um, and letting them have fun together and and explore their imaginations and play games. Right. Uh, nothing in particular to shout out about. I would just encourage everybody to, you know, follow people you wouldn't normally follow for a while and see what they say. All right. Well, I super appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. In the Patreon episode, I've got a couple of questions that may relate to how you handle things after the fall of Google+. Ooh, so yeah, so if you're interested in learning any of that, head on over to Patreon at the $5 a month level, and you can hear Eric Jensen's thoughts on that as well as so much more. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Brett. Have a great time. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. All of the links and contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes. And if you want to keep in touch, you'll find that I'm most active on Twitter at anddinners. That's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. If you're interested in supporting the show or interested in the entire backlog of exclusive bonus episodes like today's mini-sode, where Eric and I talk about the loss of Google+, and how to keep going when your community gets shut down, or you're just interested in helping keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for more great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why video gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend, Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is this secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.